blaming God. Or if God is so good, then why in the world are things so bad? There was once a man whose name was every man. Excuse me, Job. That man was blameless and upright who feared God and turned away from evil. The year before Mickey and I moved here was a very difficult one for me, for our entire family, in fact. In January of 2007, I had my gallbladder removed and a partial blockage in my stomach repaired. Made it through the surgery just fine. Five days later, I went home and felt great for about three days. Then one morning, I woke up, and all of a sudden, I mean out of the blue, I began to feel terrible. And that evening, a large red place appeared along the scar in my stomach, and late that evening, the incision popped open. Needless to say, first thing next morning, Mickey and I were back in Dr. Ritchie's office, and we were in that office once or twice a week for the next eight months. Dr. Ritchie looked at that, and he admitted He had never seen anything like it before, and although he taught surgery at LSU Medical Center, he had no idea what to do about it. So he thought first it was this thing, then that, then the other. He did this and that and the other thing, all to no avail. That gaping wound in my stomach persisted. Finally, in October, he told me he was going to have to go back in and find out what was causing all the problems. So one one Monday morning early in October, I had exploratory surgery. When Dr. Ritchie got uh, inside of me, he found a big gob of sutures that had amassed together from the previous surgery all wadded up inside of me and they were the cause to the problem. Now if you ever doubted that I was some kind of a weird duck, he figured out I was allergic to silk sutures. Go figure. Go figure. Well, these were removed. I was stitched back up and we thought that was the end of it. That, like I said, was on Monday. On Thursday, I spiked a fever and had to undergo another operation, this time to remove an abscess. Then on the Monday following, my colon ruptured, yet another procedure, this time accompanied by a colostomy. With all I had been through, I almost died during that procedure, or so they tell me. I I don't remember it, and I certainly didn't see any lights or tunnels or all of this uh, other kind of stuff some people report. But in February, the colostomy was reversed, and at last, after five surgeries over the course of 13 months, I was on the road to recovery. But wait, you know how they say that on those infomercials on, on television? Wait, There's more. 
The morning after my initial surgery, Mama called me to say that my home church had caught fire during the night and the sanctuary had burned to the ground. It was a total loss. Nothing was saved. Then, a few days after I had the colostomy surgery, Mike, our son, was on his way after school to see me and to make sure I was doing okay. Somewhere along I-110 in Baton Rouge, he got wiped out by a bus. Thank goodness he was okay. His car was not. Then during those three weeks I spent in the hospital for that series of surgeries, I developed the shingles, a mild case, thank goodness. And on top of that, I had a very painful inflammation in my right foot. One morning, Dr. Ritchie came in, started thumbing through my files, and he said, Townsend, I think I'm going to call you Job. Thanks for all the encouragement, Doc. And while it was an ordeal for all of us in, in different ways, in reality it was nothing, absolutely nothing, like that which befell poor old Job and which he had to endure. You know, at first glance, Job was a guy who had everything going for him. Material wealth, a great wife, an incredible family. He had the respect of his friends and his community. He was the all-star quarterback of the faithful, homecoming king, most likely to succeed. All of these things rolled up into one unique human pa package. And then as we read the story, in a flash... It was all gone. First, he lost his worldly possessions, his donkeys, his camels, his sheep. Then his children were taken from him. And finally, my guess is a psychosomatic response to the other mind-numbing catastrophes that had befallen him. Job lost his health. And truth to tell, for a while at least, he lost his faith. I mean, who wouldn't, right? There'd be something wrong if, you know, if Job didn't question God, life, everything else in the process. Those who talk about the presence, uh, the patience of Job hadn't, as uh, <clears throat> Paul Harvey used to say, read the rest of the story. Job at one point began to wish he had never even been born. And I think I could understand how he came to such a conclusion. You know, reflecting on that story for a moment, it's, it's a story, that suffering that Job endured, it just doesn't make any sense, does it? You know, we want to believe that we live in an ordered, logical world, cause and effect, all that sort of business. We want to see a connection between behaviors 
and consequences. If they're suffering, there has to be a reason for that suffering, right? That's the issue Job's friends raised with him. There has to be a reason. Job had to have done something wrong. But we know that's not the case. And so we're forced to ask, what on earth could account for all of these problems that befell poor old Job? But that's a question, I suppose, that's like asking, what could possibly account for the appalling atrocities undergone by the Jews during the Holocaust? Or we might say all of the pogroms and mass atrocities that have taken place across the world since then. Or Katrina. Some folks said it was God's judgment on that modern Sodom and Gomorrah, New Orleans and the gambling boats all along the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Let me ask you, what about all those poor folk who lived in the, in the ninth and in the seventh wards who had done nothing for the most part to deserve such a fate as befell them, except to be born in New Orleans and to be too poor to escape the ghettos? Or more recently, what about that teacher and those students out in Oregon on Thursday? What did they do to deserve summary execution? Tell you the truth, folks, I don't have an answer. Not a good one anyway. Nor do I have one to some of those more even or even more per- perplexing questions raised by that brutally honest story we call Job. <laughs> Not to mention the headlines in today's papers. And it does force us to raise questions. If, you know, if God is so good, why are things so bad? If God loves me so much, Why is my life so messed up? Why am I hurting so badly? What have I done? What have we done to tick God off? Huh? And it's made worse. Worse by the image of God that the story portrays. God makes a bet, as it were, with the Hasatan. A lot of our scriptures say Satan, not as such. Hasatan in uh, the early mindset in the Middle East was the eternal accuser who in, in the human throne room would be the eyes and the ears of the king. In other words, a snitch, the king's spy. Hey, Wait till I tell you what so-and-so did. And in effect, he tells God, Hey, you think this guy is so goody two-shoes? <laughs> just turn him loose or turn me loose on him and you'll see just how good 
he really is. And God goes along with this insanity. The one of whom we think is our eternal friend, our our protector, actually sits back to see just how much of a beating this poor schmuck can take. So I tell you, again, nothing about this story makes any sense. Why in the world would a good God allow such things to happen to a just and upright man Especially if, as we believe, he's got the power to stop all that business. So at its most basic level, Job points out our own worst fears and our deepest sense of vulnerability. Job reminds us, as if we need reminding, that we really don't have a lot of control over life or like or our lives or the lives and well-being of those whom we love the most. It forces us to think, man, if that can happen to a guy like Job, then dare I finish the thought. Many of us in classrooms, particularly as of Thursday in college classrooms around the country are wondering, well, if it could happen out in Oregon, What about here? From now on, I'm going to have to think at least twice about making my students mad at me for whatever the reason or another. So the book of Job forces us to deal with with some of the most painful and yet at the same time most unavoidable questions that arise in the human experience. What is the meaning of suffering? Is there a reason, a cause behind physical, mental, and emotional torment? If we think about it long enough and hard enough, it might even force us to ask questions. Well, is there a purpose to life? And if so... What's the purpose of my life? And it generates some very disturbing questions about God and our relationship with God. As I said a moment ago, I I really don't have too many answers to this. Not good ones anyway, but I do have have some thoughts. Number one is, it's a good thing to ask questions such as those, to to allow them to, to filter through our minds. Because I believe that an unexamined or an unquestioned, an unchallenged faith is not really faith at all. It's just a set of dearly held beliefs. 
Back in the dark ages when I was in high school, that's what my students think. There was a sign over the door to the football locker room that read, when the going gets tough, what Tommy? I don't remember you being in my high school. (laughs) I think that was in every high school football locker room back in, in the 60s. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. But I've got a better one for you this morning. At least I think it is. When the going gets tough, the faithful choose faith. I know, I know. It's not easy to choose faith in the God who seems sometimes to allow life's difficulties to take place in the first place. And if suffering doesn't make any sense, faith in the midst of such suffering often seems to make even less sense, right? You going to be honest with me here? <laughs> but I, I believe, I, I sincerely believe in spite of what some might call evidence to the contrary, that that placing our lives, our trust in God is the only realistic action or decision that we can make. And notice, I said realistic, not logical. There is a difference. Choosing faith in the midst of suffering and frustration may not alleviate the pain, but it can remind us of who is in control. And it ain't us. It ain't us. And you know what? There's a lot of frequent, uh, of uh, freedom in relinquishing control of something, especially since it's something over which we never had much or any control in the first place. And besides which, besides which, the only other option is to reject God. But that would also be to reject the only true source of comfort and hope and control that there really is. So what other option is there than to choose faith? To choose God? And sometimes we choose faith, we choose God because of this or that or the other thing. Sometimes, quite frankly, we choose faith, we choose God, in spite of the way life seems to be. And what's more, if you want to what's more at this point, I believe or or at least I want to believe that choosing faith in the midst of suffering will bring us into closer relationship with God. It did for Job. You remember after all of the suffering, all of the argument, all of the carrying on, Job finally says, Aha! Before all of this, I had heard about you with my ears, 
but now I see you through the eyes of faith. After all the loss and pain, after all the ranting and raving, Job gave up. He let God be God (laughs) as if he had any realistic choice. And it was then that God became most real to him. The fellow for whom I have a lot of admiration, appreciation, and respect is named Ailey Wiesel. Dr. Wiesel is a Holocaust survivor. And perhaps he was thinking of Job as well as his own experience in the Nazi camps when he wrote his book, Night. And in that book, he said, I have not lost faith in God. I have had moments of anger and protest, but sometimes, sometimes I've even been closer to him for that reason. Grappling with this sermon over the past few weeks has helped me to develop somewhat of a philosophy or a theology, perhaps, for times such as these. One, it's tough to have faith when you can't see God. Have faith anyway. It's difficult to trust or to trust in a God who sometimes seems to be arbitrary or worse, to be toying with us. Trust anyway. It sometimes doesn't make a whole lot of sense to believe in a God who allows all of the kinds of stuff that happen to people in life to happen. Believe anyway. Because I think faith in the long run is more about trust than it is about pure belief anyway. And as I said a minute ago, sometimes you just have to trust even if it's in spite of whatever. It's like an unknown Holocaust survivor, victim, we don't know, wrote on the wall of a tunnel that would use to (coughs) hide Jews from the Nazis in Europe. It said, I believe in the sun, (laughs) like it's been for a month, even when it's not shining. I believe in love, even when I'm alone. And I believe in God, even when God is silent. To that, I would like to add one more on this World Communion Sunday. (coughs) Excuse me, I'm sorry. I believe in the community of faith, even when its members are as confused, as bewildered, as frustrated, and as frightened as I am. Furthermore, I believe in the community of the faithful in spite of the personal pain and professional frustration that has been inflicted on me down through the years by some members of that community, both lay and clergy. 
but I can do so because over the years I have been so incredibly blessed by being a part of that same faith community.